Why every mixtape gotta have an intro? Intro, intro, intro. This third phase of gaming from pay to play to free to play to play and earn. We're gonna see a big shift because from a player's perspective, you've got two games. One of them, the time and money you invest is captured by the game company and you leave with nothing. The other, you have earning incentives, ownership, governance, participation. The latter is going to win out. Welcome to Funnel Web 3. An Aussie podcast about the intersection of culture with Web3, NFTs, and the metaverse. Now, this isn't a shill show, it's to share stories of how these innovations will impact your everyday passions and interests. I'm Aaron, your host. Let's go. Welcome back for another episode. This is the first conversation on Funnel Web 3 to focus on play to earn gaming. Also known as P2E, it is one of the most popular use cases for NFTs and demonstrating the value of digital ownership so it's unlikely to be the last episode on this topic. For those hearing about play-to-earn gaming for the first time, this is a new model where players of video games are rewarded through the earning of tokens, NFTs, or other assets that in many cases can be exchanged for other cryptocurrencies or real-world value. In short, instead of paying to play, you can play to get paid. We chat to Lewis Grafton, the New Zealand-born but Australian-based Chief Operating Officer of Solchicks. Solchicks is a play-to-earn game that has become one of the most popular on the Solana blockchain since its launch in September 2021. The Solchicks ecosystem is founded on a collection of 10,000 NFTs and a Solchicks token, which form the basis of characters and economies for the game, which is inspired by classics like Diablo. Thanks for coming onto the podcast today. To start off the conversation, how did Soul Chicks start and how did the initial team come together? So thanks for having me, Aaron. So we started Soul Chicks in early September and... It was really around seeing the the opportunity in the space where play to earn as a concept and as a model had had a lot of validation. We've seen Axie Infinity go from several thousand users to a couple of million daily active users over the course of really you know less than twelve months. And when we looked at the landscape, there were not really any live playable games that had the entertainment value or engaging content that you would see in traditional games. And so we set out to build a game, essentially the type of game that we would want to play ourselves. So basically taking, you know, proven game concepts from traditional gaming. In the, in the case of Soul Chicks, we're building an MMORPG game with elements that have similarities to, say, games like Diablo or League of Legends. And pair that up with the you know blockchain integration, play to earn economics to create something that I think has you know very broad appeal and is going to be pushing that next phase, I guess, of of the game industry as kind of the next major transition. So we came together, you know, William pulled together a team essentially from his network. So a lot of the core team come from these very strong business and finance backgrounds. In his case, he, he started off at McKinsey and was working in, in private equity and also studied at uh, Wharton. And, you know, I was in investment banking and then also private investing at, at Bank Capital. So, you know, we, the, the idea, I guess, really is about executing quickly coming to market quickly and building a really strong team that brings together the best of, I guess, the business world on the management side, but also the gaming world on the dev side. We've got a a really strong dev team with people from 
backgrounds where they were like senior developers on games like Maple Story, PUBG, uh, Dungeon Fighter, Terra, uh, to to be able to basically move really quickly to bring this uh, vision to to reality. Game development is becoming a much more exciting part of venture capital of web three of investing and people are looking for ways to get exposure to this game devs are known to be hard to hire so how did you find recruiting game devs especially for a game that's come out of nowhere yeah i mean it's certainly uh, a big challenge and probably the biggest challenge for anyone entering the space today when we started off we built our prototype out using a team of, of freelancers but we were trying to ramp that up very quickly. We were talking to senior execs at some of the biggest global game dev companies. And the initial idea was to try to start with one of them and basically build out a team underneath them. And we were getting some good traction, but we realized that to to actually execute that, it was going to be like a two, three month process to go from that kind of first guy through to a full functional team and to get everyone up and running and getting a good speed. And that was not really going to be fast enough for, I guess, what we're trying to do. Like, you know, some of these people, they have like three month notice periods and, and yeah. competes and all that type of stuff. <clears throat> so we were actually very fortunate that one of our early investors introduced us to uh, a boutique game studio and these this is a team based in korea is around 15 to 20 of them and they really get play to earn they have a couple of blockchain guys in their team they were working on another project but basically agreed to shelve that join us full-time exclusively as part of our team and are working on the basis of our chicks token so yeah, you you could think of that as effectively like an equity compensation. So so it's like a full on partnership with full alignment, and it meant that we have like a plug and play team of of people who you know they work together. They already know how to do all this stuff together as a team and able to basically start immediately. So we signed them on, and it was October. So kind of like just. Uh, but over a month after we started Solchicks and they were able to build a playable demo and release it in, in the, basically a month. If you actually look and play the demo, which is like live on our website, it's quite a substantial demo. Like when you compare it to a lot of the other projects out there, many of which have been going for a lot longer than us. They have you know very simple demos. Sometimes it's, it's literally just a, a video or some graphics. Um, and the demo we have is, is like five minutes of solid gameplay. You do like a little quest in the Solchex village, and then you go into a boss battle. So you're battling the Soul Fox alongside a couple of AI-controlled NPC characters. And like that was what they were able to do in the course of a month. <laughs> and yeah. the name of the game for us is Speed of Execution. The game demos are pretty clear on what are the game mechanics, kind of how... Your NFT soul cheat gets integrated within the game, a lot of the RPG elements. And I think that there's a lot of games out there that promote being play to earn or promote being RPG. But when you compare them to what is an RPG traditionally, you don't really get that necessarily from what they've put out there. And even on the play to earn, sometimes it's like, oh, we have some NFTs that you can buy and then we'll create a game. But sometimes the games are something along the lines of, you know, because you own one, you have a chance to win something. Yeah, we decided to go kind of 
all out or full blown with the concept and do it properly. The way we saw it was that, you know, there's a bit of a development lead time and the space evolves very quickly. So what you need to build is something that's going to be market leading when it comes out rather than kind of meeting the market today. It was really a, a decision to have the full game functionality. There's, there's quite a few games out there that are basically, you know, XE clones or, or, or variations of, of, you know, very simple game concepts where it's basically a DeFi yield grinding game <laughs> and less of something that you would play standalone. And we were very focused on making sure the game holds up standalone without the blockchain economics and then you know kind of trying to just marry the the best of both worlds together yeah and it's interesting the team that you found is from korea because i don't know do you follow amy Wu on twitter i do actually yeah yeah because she's done a few tweets about how the future of gaming is in korea i guess you were at the like what's we the phrase? Yeah, <laughs> you, you were there before other people figured that out and i guess that's the the key to success Especially yeah, in Web3. It's funny. There's like a couple of elements there. When we started this, like there was awareness around play to earn and people were like mainstream media was starting to pay attention to X Infinity, but it certainly felt like we were still actually quite early in this. And then I went to Solana Breakpoint along with a few of the guys in the team in early November and it felt like a real shift in the narrative there where basically everybody was talking about play to earn everyone was talking about gaming being the next big thing for nfts and so we were really in the hot zone (laughs) it it kind of felt like the first two months we'd spent pitching to people and trying to convince them why this is a thing (laughs) and then after that it was really like everybody was looking for you know the space and, and where it's going. And we were already there. We'd already built the team. We'd already built the vision and had already executed, you know, very strongly in terms of building a community. I guess we timed things very well by being a little bit ahead of that. Korea is an interesting market. The regulatory environment is still quite choppy. The government is not a massive supporter of the blockchain space. But on the consumer adoption side, it's very high. The awareness is very high. And, you know, a lot of the companies there are like really at the forefront. They were onto this a lot earlier than most other people. Vietnam is another market I would call out as being very ahead of the game as well. I guess you would almost say coincidence, but I think it was just a natural fit that our dev team is based in Korea. And it's because of that awareness that they got it. They kind of like when we were introduced to them, they were like, this is, you know, exactly the type of thing we're looking for. Speaking more generally, there's a lot of great games and game developers out there that don't necessarily know how to market a game, how to build a community. There's some great games out there that don't reach maybe the audience or level of commercial success that they deserve just because they haven't been kind of brought to market in in the right way. And so there's this this natural fit in terms of what we were doing, where we'd built a community and had a lot of buy-in for the concept of what we were doing, but we still needed to fully build out our dev capabilities. And for them, who are these extremely talented guys, but didn't have the in-house capabilities around how, how to actually go to market. And and so for us, it was it was the perfect fit. Yeah. And so when did you start building the community? 
day one was the first week of September and oh, wow. the, the first NFT mint was mid-September. So I, I guess we were, we, were, we were quite lucky that when we brought it together, we had like a very clear idea of what we wanted it to be. And so the concept, I mean, the, the concept's always evolving and, as you know, always kind of tweaking things as we go and iterating, but the concept was largely fully formed on day one. And so when we launched the NFTs, we were very clear around the type of game that we wanted to make. I kind of think of NFTs as like Kickstarter on steroids. It's basically this way to raise that upfront capital to actually fund a project. And there's like a collectible element to these things that give you know the NFTs value even outside of the direct utility of the in-game usage. And so... You pair that with crypto in general, which is like this massive community of early adopters and people who are, you know, very open to trying new things and always looking for what's new and exciting. And so you have this very receptive audience of people who want to support new projects and are looking for great teams and great concepts to back. And so that allows you to come to market in quite a different way to like a traditional gaming model where typically you kind of work on this on the development for like months or years come to like a fully formed concept and almost fully released game and and then you start marketing then and you start building your community and what we're doing is I guess very um, back to front in that sense but is actually I think kind of de-risks things a lot because now we've got 800,000 people across our social channels who are following us and fans of the concept and that gives us a lot of confidence around being able to really grow strongly grow a player base and launch uh, the product to to a really big audience. Yeah, and you also benefited from launching in September because there was a huge wave into NFTs around that time. I mean, the other wave we caught was the Solana wave. So we we launched our NFTs on Solana. Solana is a relatively new blockchain that has performed really, really well in terms of user adoption and I think considered a top five layer one blockchain today from you know, Inception only like a year or so ago. It's evolved very rapidly from art and profile pictures to now game assets to what we're seeing emerging in terms of the broader entertainment space. So we see this going into music, into other kind of art and entertainment forms like video and You see it in sports now as well. You've got this element where gaming itself or like NFT-based gaming is driving the mainstream adoption. I kind of like look back at crypto over like the last decade. For a long time, it was seen as very niche or the use cases were, were, were narrow and very speculative. It was very financialized and there weren't a lot of real world utility for like a you know, you're your everyday person on the street, unless you want to go trading crypto or doing a bunch of stuff in DeFi. There wasn't the kind of stuff that really engages people, and NFTs have really changed that. And gaming, in particular, I think, has really encouraged people who otherwise weren't really looking at the space to say, "Hey, this is some really interesting stuff that's going on. I should check it out." And, and you have seen this, particularly like Axie Infinity, where 
a lot of the Axie player base basically came into crypto because of Axie. And some of them even came into gaming because of Axie. For Solchix, what we're trying to build is not just another play-to-earn game for people in crypto, but what we're trying to do is build a game that can actually penetrate those traditional audiences in developed markets and convert not just gamers, but probably, you know, they would maybe call it dormant gamers, people who haven't had the time or being able to justify the, the time cost to to be playing. For us, it's around playing and earning or having earning incentives and ownership around the game. So you can more easily justify, hey, I can now monetize my time and skill by playing these where you would otherwise not be doing much. You can now come into these games and play around. And it's not just like a one-way transfer of value from the user base to the game developers. Yeah, and to your point, the way I first came across the concept of NFTs in gaming was in 2019 because I was working in the video game industry and one of the things that I found really fascinating is the amount of money people were spending in video games. And I could never justify to myself the value of in-game spending because it's all sunk costs essentially. And I thought, why isn't anyone trying to put this on the blockchain? And I've been interested in NFTs and their potential outside of DeFi ever since then. And then that's also the point of this podcast. It's about that intersection of Web3, NFTs, the metaverse with these things that you touched on, whether it's sports, music, fashion, video games, you know, things beyond that. Because I think there's a lot of people who only think of crypto and NFTs as get-rich-quick schemes or financial incentives and things like that. But as a result, they're missing the opportunity beyond that for different applications of this technology, for different projects that might actually pique their interest. Hopefully conversations like this bring light to that. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Because the conversation in the gaming industry around NFTs and crypto is, to be honest, it's a little bit toxic <laughs> in some corners of, of the space. I think this is because the relationship between players and the traditional game companies has historically been quite exploitative. And when people see these companies starting to dip their toes in the water in NFTs, they see this, you know, maybe not unfairly as another kind of cash grab by these companies and as this relatively disingenuous attempt to extract more value from their communities. For us, this is, I think, a big education process for like the crypto native gaming companies who coming from this from a completely different philosophy and mindset and we don't have these um, existing you know profit pools to protect we, we can kind of come in and I think disrupt the space because what we're doing is it's very community first it's putting the ownership with the community and it's sharing the value in the system so rather than these games where it's this one-way flow of value from users to the game companies, we have a full in-game economy where value flows in both directions and you have players earning and, and monetizing and being able to cash out of the time and money that they invest in the game and having also the governance models more of a say in how the game is developed and balanced. So it's, it's very much... Uh, purely positive thing from a player perspective to be <laughs> coming into this model. But 
when their only exposure to this is from the existing incumbents who are coming from it from quite a different angle. You can see where the skepticism has been coming from. I wanted to go back to when you were talking about the waves just quickly and understand why was it Solana that you picked to be the blockchain that you built the game on? Yeah, so Solana, um, you know, when we were setting out, we kind of surveyed the landscape and Solana really stood out for a couple of reasons. One, just from a technology perspective, it's a very fast blockchain and it's got very low transaction costs. In gaming in particular, these are very important factors because the more you can do on-chain, you know, the more fun you can have with it. You could have item drops or item transfers from player to player and you want it to be seamless and frictionless, right? The second consideration, and this is probably a softer one, it was just recognizing the momentum around the Solana ecosystem, seeing a relatively open field, so easier to stand out. And, and it's allowed us to basically go from concept to the leading play-to-earn game on the Solana blockchain in the space of four months. Yeah, yeah, impressive. And then you're also one of the projects that's become one of the top games promoted on Fractal, which launched recently, led by Justin Can, who previously founded Twitch. What do you think about Fractal being dedicated to gaming, focused on Solana versus you know other NFT marketplaces at the moment? They're across everything. They're, they're not specialties. So do you see the future as there being more specialty marketplaces? Yeah, it's an interesting space, right? Because our NFTs are traded on basically all of the, the major Solana NFT marketplaces. So that's your Solanarts and your Magic Edens through to your like FTX US as well. Normally, I would say the marketplace models tend to be more winner takes all. And I think the market, the industry for these marketplaces is still so nascent that we're yet to see who the big winners are. I think there are in this space, there actually is room for more than one, you know, maybe a few, because they tend to, I guess, specialize in different areas. And it was it was particularly interesting seeing the Fractal guys and, and Justin coming in and, and deciding to focus, you know, specifically on Solana. I, I think they do aspire to be cross-chain, but they're big Solana advocates and and wanted to start here. I think that's actually a reflection as well of of the Solana ecosystem. So the whole concept behind Fractal is around trying to bring these things more into the mainstream. So obviously like Justin with his background at, at Twitch and you know this big reputation in in the industry is is kind of using that to really build awareness of of the blockchain gaming space which is really exciting i think for everyone in the space right because we, we don't see this as competing so much for share of the pie or share of like the existing market it's really about growing the market for everyone and you know no serious gamer only ever plays one game so we're quite friendly with most other projects the fractal model is basically like hey, everyone in traditional gaming, look what's happening here. This is your gateway into the space. And they've been very conscious of uh, their role as a curator and to be very selective around only partnering with the you know highest quality projects because they know that their users are maybe slightly less experienced in crypto, maybe slightly less well-equipped to do their own research and due diligence on these projects. And so I think 
as much as decentralization is highly valued in crypto, I think there's also a role for gatekeepers and decentralization to uh, ease people into the space uh, and allow them to kind of come into a little bit of a safe zone. <laughs> you talked about the importance of quality to your own project. What was the inspiration behind the creative direction, you know, having the little chicks and the way that they're designed? But the second part about quality is there's a lot of criticisms of Solana as being unreliable and not fully decentralized. And so do you have any concerns about the Solana blockchain moving forward and it potentially compromising the quality of the games built on it. And Solchix was one of the games that caused Solana to break down. Yeah. So the Solchix themselves, we call it cute but fierce little characters. And we really designed them with like this idea of we wanted something that was very approachable, <laughs> had broad appeal and not too serious, but also, you know, pairing that with, you know, like quite a serious game. For us, it's about having these characters that have a lot of appeal to people and on all these different markets, but also having a bit of fun with like the NFT concept itself. So the actual soul tricks that you'll see in the game are it's more of a, a conceptual representation of translating those NFTs into a game character. It's not like a one-to-one -one translation that I think you see in some of the nft projects that are trying to pivot to be games <laughs> they haven't really thought through what they actually want to do so it's like yeah. you just have this jpeg that's sit sitting in your game <laughs> we're actually doing a redesign of our nfts as well which is going to be quite an interesting launch for us where we're basically going to kind of swap out the old nfts for, for new ones that have this 3d it's a little bit more professional <laughs> because what we had at the start was done you know relatively quickly with relatively little budget and now we're in a, a really good position to reinvest and refresh these game assets on the solana question it's an interesting one so yeah our, our listing and our launch basically broke the solana blockchain there was about 16 hours of really high network congestion so like the 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 network didn't completely break but it was largely unusable for the good part of a day um and the, like the backstory to that uh, you know it's, it's actually like a a known issue <laughs> where when you're a very highly anticipated project you have these bots trying to snipe your liquidity pool and so we're trying to set up our liquidity pool on radium decks but there are just these thousands of bot requests trying to buy it before it was actually established and the congestion that that caused meant that we couldn't actually set up the pool because the transaction required to set up the pool would keep failing and there's this quite ironic or like you know kind of vicious circle of we couldn't set up the pool which caused the bots to keep going which caused the network to be down which meant that we couldn't set up the pool and the only workaround really was to just keep trying <laughs> keep trying for like 16 hours so we, we didn't really sleep that night finally got it up the, the congestion cleared and things took off again but it was pretty painful and i guess a bit embarrassing both for us but also for solana we knew the radium guys were like literally on the phone to the solana guys for a lot of that period being like how do we fix this it is a known issue and they actually pushed an update i think earlier in the day 
but not enough of the node validators had like adopted it yet. So I, I think it's it's solvable and it's kind of representative of the teething issues that you have when you know building and scaling new layer ones. I'm pretty confident they're smart guys and they're you know aware of the issues and I think they're quite solvable. I would hope not to see this uh, occur, at least not occur in the same way again. I think from a day-to-day usability perspective, it's still quite a strong platform to be on. You mentioned 16 hours and it was quite tough, but it must have also been exciting to know there was this super high demand for what you're building to the extent that you know it causes what is now one of the top <laughs> blockchains in terms of market capitalization to to struggle <laughs> yeah i mean we got quite a lot of like organic media pickup from it as well like a very good meme competition going <laughs> at the same time but it was also like pretty stressful because we had like thirty thousand people trying to claim their token like we had like sold pre-sold the token to 30,000 people. So we had all of them basically complaining to us all at once saying like, you know, where's the liquidity pool? Where are my tokens? How are you going to fix this? And us kind of, yeah, not really being able to do a lot. So that was frustrating and, and, and stressful, but we got through it. People have their tokens now. We've been trading pretty smoothly. We've touched on throughout this conversation that, um, Soul Chicks is a play to earn or a play and earn game where it'll enable people to create income by playing the game. Obviously, the people who play the game, they need to buy an NFT to get in. And this, this is a problem that's been faced by other games like Axie Infinity, which you've also mentioned, where then you have guilds popping up that allow people to more or less rent out assets to be able to play the game. And so due to some of these barriers to entry that get created once a game becomes popular, a lot of people, they refer to play and earn or play to earn as replacing and creating value versus pay to win but do you think it actually it's just another form of pay to win where people can then resell their assets because a lot of people end up being priced out of games anyway the way the guild system works and we are um, a guild friendly game that's partnering with a number of guilds the way it works is that if you are a player and you don't have or want to spend the money up front to purchase the NFT, you can basically play with someone else's NFT and the earnings from your play are split with the owner. And so there's like a a revenue share essentially. And the way that works is it it creates uh, this accessibility to people who, you know, it's basically, it's free, it's call it free to earn. Um, with, with, with no upfront and one of the kind of improvements that we're looking to make versus how the Axie Infinity model works so with, with Axie the like the custody of NFTs and the sharing of these between players owners managers is done outside of the game platform and that opens the space up to scams and exploitation and a bunch of other issues and it also causes the guilds to be these kind of gatekeepers to the player base what we're looking to do is make it a lot safer by doing the custody integrated into the game and to democratize it a little bit where anyone can put their nft into the custody system where it could then be picked up by anyone else so for guilds you know we're obviously going to have 
player matching and giving them control around who they're giving their NFTs to because they have a whole system around training and monitoring players and optimizing the earn rates. But for someone who has an NFT but doesn't want to start their own guild or a player who just wants to try things out and can't or doesn't want to join a guild, you've got this system where you can kind of match them up with each other. Yeah, nice. Because I think yeah, sometimes guilds can be challenging for some people, especially if they might be new to the space. To try and get into blockchain games through guilds, I think is more complicated than just setting up a wallet and trying to play yourself. Yeah, yeah, just the demand. It's just a demand and supply issue, right? Yeah. Um, it allows the guilds to be selective, but it means as a player, it's a bigger barrier to entry. Yeah. And so you mentioned at the very start of this conversation that you and William were both fans of playing video games and that's where this started together with him on building Soul Chicks. We've touched on a few examples throughout this conversation and ultimately what do you believe is the future of video games and what do you think it means for incumbents, both platform holders like your PlayStation, Nintendo and Xbox versus the third-party publishers? Yeah, I mean, at a macro level, you know, I kind of see this as like the this, this third phase of gaming from kind of pay to play to free to play to play and earn. And so I think we're going to see a big shift because from a player's perspective, right, starting out, you've got two games, both of them, let's call it the same quality from like an entertainment perspective. Maybe it's the same game. One of them, the time and money you invest in the game kind of is captured by the game company and you kind of leave with nothing and the other one you have earning incentives you have ownership you have governance participation it's very clear to me that the latter is going to win out in the longer term so i think there's going to be a big transition there at the same time i don't know if the incumbents are necessarily going to be able to execute that well i think they've been slow to recognize the opportunity or slow to accept that this is what people want. And I think that they struggle because it conflicts with their existing business models. And you also have these closed platforms like the consoles where it's gated from a publisher's perspective. And so they're going to be very slow adopters, if at all. So, I mean, I think it could mean a revival somewhat in in PC gaming. I do also see this as a lot of the existing games are more PC-oriented right now, just because it's easier for wallet integrations and just the tech side of things. And also there's an element of gating on iOS and the like Google Play Store. Uh, However, I see mobile as probably the next wave of of adoption in the space as well. And the Soldrix game is going to be released initially on PC, but also rolled out to mobile quite soon after. You're going to see a lot of people, especially on the more casual games, doing blockchain-enabled gaming on on their phones. One of the things you touch on about their business models is that you've seen countless times by most of the major publishers, EA with Star Wars Battlefront when it came out, Activision with some of their changes that they've made to Call of Duty over time is that as much as they might say that they're player and customer focused, their decisions consistently show that they're profit focused versus where a lot of the play to earn and play and earn games are coming from is really about that community focus, which you touch on. And how do you help the community benefit by continuing to grow the game? And I think by having that 
you know, focus on real community, not just community in a marketing sense. That's what ultimately over time is going to help differentiate these games and keep people coming back because they have that incentive to continue to play the game and continue to build the game and know that ultimately that if they don't like playing anymore, they can potentially get a return or at least break even on their assets or recoup some of those costs versus, you know, if they stop wanting to play FIFA, they've lost all their money. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing we haven't touched on so much is the importance of community to these games as well, right? It's it's not just about playing the game, but there's a big social aspect too, whether that's social in-game and social, you know, playing with your mates, but also outside of the game as well, being part of that community, being part of you know, particularly when you're like an early adopter, you have that sense of we were here first and we um, we were we were doing it before it was cool. So, <laughs> you know, I think in the longer term, that sense of camaraderie and also the social aspects is what keep people coming back to these games. It's not just like a play at once and and you're done with it. So, building in those elements, particularly on the multiplayer side of things, is quite important. Yeah, well, congratulations on Soul Chick so far and the community that you've been able to build and, and the success. It almost really is overnight success because you only started in September and here you are as one of the top play to earn games, not to discount or discredit any any of the effort that you and the rest of the team have put in. Appreciate your time. For people who want to find out more and get involved in support, where can they do that? Yeah, sure. So soulchicks.io is our website, which has a lot of stuff. Our biggest communities would be a Twitter. It's around 300k. Our Discord, around 250k, which is more, I guess, NFT and game focused. And then our, our Telegram group, which is around 200k and a little bit more token and crypto focused. So for people who are interested, I'll put those links in the description um, and you can get involved in the project. Obviously, do your own research. This is not financial advice. But thank you again, Lewis, for, for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, and let me know on Twitter at Aaron Archive. The links will be in the description. Oh, and tell your neighbours.